been uh, thinking this morning, this is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, I want us to look at the verses at the end of Acts chapter 2 this morning, which is a description of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're told that when Peter preached, the people were cut to the heart, that is, they were convicted of their sin, of the things that they had done in rejecting Jesus. And uh, they said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And suddenly, many people who had been opposed to Jesus Christ uh, and had actually consented to his death in some cases, uh, became believers, followers, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Peter told them that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as the Holy Spirit had been given uh, to the apostles enabling Peter to preach the gospel with power. And uh, as a result of that one sermon, there were 3,000 people who put their faith in the Lord Jesus. And then we have a description at the end uh, of the chapter of these new Christians, uh, what they were like, what they did, and uh, their life together. Uh, it's interesting that we, we remember, in a very significant way, the birth of Jesus. Uh, we also remember, in a significant way, his death and resurrection, and rightly so. Um, but Pentecost, somehow, doesn't seem to figure so prominently in our thinking. But Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came to this world, particularly came to God's people, uh, dwelling in every Christian, and empowering the church in its witness. Uh, about the only thing I can remember we've done in my memory uh, here, for instance, in Park End, was we had a Whitson treat uh, when we broke all safety rules and sat on the back of wagons and had little benches. And, and when my sister managed to break her leg on one occasion, uh, she jumped off the lorry and caught her heel in her skirt. Um, but that was Whitson, it was a Whitson treat. And we went to a farmer's field somewhere and uh, enjoyed a, a day together. But the coming of the Holy Spirit is so important. He didn't just come once, but he came to be with his people forever. And his coming was life-changing. He, he changed the apostles. And, and these new Christians were, were people who uh, knew and loved the Lord Jesus Christ and were empowered to fulfill their calling, to take the gospel to all the world. What an immense task that was. Uh, Jesus had told them before his ascension that they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. They were to go to the extremities of the earth and they could only do that in the power of the Spirit. And there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, we're told, in Jerusalem. On this feast, the Feast of Pentecost, and they heard the gospel. And one day there will be a great multitude in heaven that nobody can count, and they'll be from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And that's because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the immense work that the Holy Spirit does through God's people, through Christians. And so these were momentous times after the ascension of Jesus. There were just 120 or so gathered together to pray. We've heard an encouragement to pray this morning. These people, small in number, having a huge task, facing great opposition, 
And uh, yet they had this empowering of the Holy Spirit who came to dwell in them and to be with them. And uh, just imagine 3,000 people coming to faith in one day and they were baptized. What an immense task to baptize all those people who had put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're told in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, literally prayers. You see, these people had received new life. They were different people because of their experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd been born by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word of God. And uh, that life uh, had led to that word had led to new life in them and they'd put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, so it was a work of God and uh, every true Christian has known that work of God sometimes it happens dramatically as it did on this particular day for these people they heard about Jesus they realized their need and they put their faith in him sometimes it happens over a period of time as God quietly works in our hearts we understand one thing and then another and uh, we don't perhaps come to an assurance of knowing Jesus Christ for a little while but there must be that work of the Spirit of God in our hearts I wonder have you known that work in your heart and if you're not sure that you have do you pray Lord may I know that new life in Jesus I am a sinful person and I need your forgiveness and Jesus came to die for people like me. Help me to put my trust in you and then to live a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you can only explain what these people did because of that change that had happened in them. It's possible to be formally religious, to go through emotions, to attend church from time to time, perhaps even regularly, and uh, to say our prayers before we retire for the night and so on, and yet not really to know God, sincere, genuine, and yet not having had that life-changing experience. And these people had experienced that. And wherever people experience that, then it affects the way they live, and it affects the way, together with others, that they live out the Christian life. So that in churches where people have been born again of God's Spirit, there is that life, that desire, that appetite uh, for the things of God. Uh, we want to know more about the Lord Jesus. Uh, we want our lives to change and be more and more conformed to the way that he lived. And we want to love our fellow Christians and we want to witness to the gospel. And all those things are new things, things that weren't there before we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So that we can grow up in a tradition and follow that tradition very faithfully. And sometimes people say, well, I'm a committed Christian, by which they mean they're for the church of Jesus, they're for the gospel, but perhaps not knowing the, the work of God's spirit. And so these people knew uh, new life in Jesus, and that's why they devoted themselves, or they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. In fact, we're told that they did some of these things every day it was a, a life-changing experience literally because their whole lives changed 
Uh, they listened to the apostles' teaching. The apostles did that in the temple often. And people would gather around and they would hear the apostles telling them about the teaching of Jesus and about what Jesus did and the significance of his cross and his resurrection. And they had an appetite for that. They wanted to learn. They wanted to hear more. Some years ago I was preaching in a church and a gentleman came out afterwards and I shook hands with him and um, he said, I, I found your sermon helpful. That's always encouraging. And uh, he said, there was only one thing wrong with it. And I said, really? Yes, he said, uh, it was too short. Now, not many people have said that to me over the years. <laughs> I have to struggle to be short. Um, but I said, how long have you been a Christian? And he said, oh, about six months. I thought, you see, he's got that appetite. He wants to know more about Jesus. And uh, these people had that kind of appetite. And they had fellowship, things in common. They knew each other. It's possible sometimes to go to church and not really to know many people in church. If you're in a larger congregation, you might find yourself being welcomed as a visitor uh, because somebody hasn't noticed you before. And you might say, well, I've been coming for 50 years. <laughs> Uh, how long have you been coming? Um, I went to a church in the States some years ago and they said, next Sunday we want you to sit in your zip code, your postcode, and uh, that way you'll meet the people who live near you and who also come to the same church. Well, these people, a large number, but they had fellowship. They had things in, in common that they shared. Uh, and uh, then they, they also met around the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And that was a significant thing for them because Jesus gave us the communion service, the Lord's Supper, so we might regularly remember his death. And those people, some of them had agreed to him being crucified, were now thanking him that his body was broken and his blood was shed for their sins, that he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices. There were no more sacrifices to be offered, really, though they did put the, the curtain of the temple back up, but Jesus had offered the final, once-for-all sacrifice. And uh, they met together in that simple ceremony as we did to eat bread and drink wine and to remember him. Uh, it, it meant that in all their desires to serve the Lord, they remembered his grace and his forgiveness and his kindness and their common need of that. And then they prayed, and uh, it's a plural, prayers, they were always praying in the sense that every day it, it, they prayed, prayed for God's blessing upon them, upon the work of the gospel, for protection in the face of persecution, and for his help. And prayer is absolutely vital uh, for the church of Jesus Christ. It sometimes seems to be a minority interest, a bit like students who, who choose different subjects, and there are only some people who choose certain courses. But prayer is something that characterizes characterize the whole church at this time. And they continued steadfastly. They, they devoted themselves to these things. If somebody said to them, what are you doing today? Well, they might say, well, I'm listening to the apostles. I'm going to meet with my fellow Christians. Uh, we're going to remember the Lord's death till he comes. We're going to pray. Those were the things that were uppermost in their minds, although they had to carry on with their ordinary lives as well. And uh, we're told then that everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. In other words, they didn't have a building. They didn't have a fine building to meet in, a comfortable building. They met 
in the temple. That was a lovely building, but it wasn't theirs. They met together with others. But there was that sense of God, of the reality of who God is. It's possible to, to have a religion which has no real sense of, of God. I remember hearing a man preaching once, and he was describing a group of Christians met together and enthusiastically praising the Lord, he said. And then he said it was like being in a football match. And I thought, are you serious? There's lots of energy, excitement, enthusiasm in a football match if your team are doing well. But it's nothing like worshipping God. There's that sense of who he is. So that we're conscious of him in all that we do. Not in some sort of put-on solemnity, but just realizing that God is with us by his spirit. He's in us. What we are about as we're doing things as Christians have to do with God's kingdom. Uh, we said the Lord's Prayer for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And that's what it's all about. Uh, he meets with us. He dwells among us. And uh, the apostles were able to perform miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, you have an example of that in chapter 3 where Paul heals a man who's been lame from birth. He's more than 40 years old. And that was a sign that God, the Holy Spirit, was with them. There was no doubt about that. And that the apostles were the representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, men specially endowed with the Spirit. And there was that, just that sense of God. When Paul is writing to the Corinthians in his uh, first letter, he, he deals with what they do when they get together and they had a problem with certain gifts, particularly with speaking in tongues. And so people would speak in tongues and nobody had any idea what they were saying. And uh, Paul said, no, it shouldn't be like that. Uh, if you haven't got somebody to explain, to translate, to interpret the tongue, then you shouldn't speak in that tongue. But uh, he talks about somebody who isn't a Christian coming into the, the church at Corinth. And uh, he says, if somebody who doesn't know the Lord comes in and they can understand what is being said, thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. And that's one of our great desires, isn't it? That when people who perhaps don't normally come to church, come to church and worship with us, that our worship will be so real, there will be so much a sense of God that they will say, truly, God is among you. It's possible to go into a Christian service and have no sense of God, no sense of his presence. But what a wonderful thing it is when somebody can come and say, you know, this is a place where God is. We're just ordinary people. We've got all kinds of weaknesses and struggles and problems. But God is here. You remember the patriarch Jacob setting off to find a wife. And uh, he sleeps uh, on with a pillow, a rock as a pillow. And uh, it's a, a nervous time for him. He's leaving home. His brother hates him and wants to kill him. And he's conscious of his need. And he sleeps and God is with him. And then he has a great vision of a, a, a ladder up to heaven and angels ascending and descending and, and he comes to the conclusion that God is in this place and I didn't know it God is not just in my home with my family but wherever I go God is here and he calls the place Bethel where God specially revealed to him 
God with us. That's the name that was given to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So these people have been born of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. They were devoted uh, to the, the means of grace, we might call them, teaching, fellowship, Lord's Supper and prayer. And there was just that sense of God, wanting to know God. And if you pray that when you, you come to church, do you pray, Lord, help me to meet with you. Help us to meet with you today. And uh, that eternal things will become real to us. We, we live in an empty world, a, a world where the things that are done don't last for any time. But, but God is the eternal God and he meets with us uh, by his spirit. And then they were all together. All the believers were together. And uh, that unity that is so important. These new people came from different backgrounds. They had different temperaments. But they had the same Lord. The Holy Spirit was living in them. And they had the same purpose and desire. And your unity is not only a, a pleasant thing. The psalmist says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is good, it is pleasant. But it's also essential to the fulfilling of our calling in Jesus Christ. That we all want the same things. And uh, we want together to serve the Lord. We live in a highly personal Western world where the individual is the center of everything. But in the church of Jesus Christ, that togetherness is so important. Uh, not so long ago, I was involved with a church which sadly has closed. Just a few years ago, there were 30 to 40 people meeting every Sunday. Uh, they had a building. Uh, they'd been in existence for some years. But one of the things that contributed to them closing was a disunity. That they couldn't agree. They didn't have a common purpose. But it wasn't like that with these early Christians. Their unity was very real. And when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, make every effort to keep, to safeguard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We don't create that unity. It was a Holy Spirit-created unity that they experienced. But Paul says, make sure you value it. Make sure you safeguard it and uh, endeavor in every way to keep that unity in the bond of peace because once it's gone it's very hard to regain it again so they weren't a, a large number of people in terms of the task of taking the gospel to the world but they were united in their sense of calling and you know sometimes we have to make adjustments to work out that unity i haven't done it for many years but i remember running three-legged races that sort of strange race that people contrived where you tie your legs together. and The first time you do that, it's, it's almost impossible to move uh, because there's no synchronization of what you're doing. But gradually you realize that if you, if you get right and move in the same way, you begin to go quite quickly. And sometimes it's important to recognize the importance of unity in order for the purpose of God to be fulfilled in a particular congregation. And here were these people, and as you, you see the description, you think, yes, they're together. They're united. Judaism was divided. Uh, there have always been divisions, and uh, they were in the, the majority of the population of Jerusalem. But this group of people, those who continued in Jerusalem, others perhaps went back to other parts of the world, but they were united. 
they were together and we need to pray that there'll be unity in the church and then there was an outflow of their unity that uh, they had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need this voluntary community of goods giving to any as they had need they weren't wealthy people uh, all of them by any means and indeed that being becoming christians led to a persecution which made them poorer but they had a, a concern for one another and they wanted to share what they had and that's that attitude of saying that uh, the things that belonged to them were not exclusively theirs there's nothing wrong with having things that belong to us but what these people realized that the things that they had were not only for them but they were for others as well and uh, you have a further description uh, of that in in chapter 4 of acts um, where they were of one heart and one soul again this unity which led to this generosity of spirit and uh, it seems they for instance sold extra possessions we're told about barnabas who became a significant christian leader and uh, he was uh, a levite from cyprus and uh, he had land land he didn't need and land he didn't use and he sold it and then he brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet he said here i want you to use this money for my brothers and sisters in jesus christ he didn't want to say to them you've got to use it for this or you've got to use it for that i just want it to be used as you know the needs of the people and are able to help them in that way and i wonder how we respond if we are in a situation where we have more than we need but that may not be your situation but sometimes it is and as we get older sometimes that situation becomes uh, our experience and do we say well how do i use the extra possessions i've got the money in my bank account which i don't need to touch or in investments uh, and so on how, how do i use them do i want to use them for the enrichment of my fellow christians uh, that their needs may be met and so there's something very practical and a spirit of generosity about how these people lived together how they worshiped together and uh, no doubt there was great thanksgiving as people had a need and then the apostles were able to give them what they needed in other words they loved one another they cared for one another, not just with words but with actions and in truth and then there was this daily walk every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of all the people that daily walk that's what christian life is isn't it it's not just a, a sunday faith it's a faith that is so real that it touches our lives every day and sometimes that is difficult in the kind of world we live where there are so many things that we can do so many alternatives some years ago i went to moldova and moldova is a, a poor country it's in the shadow of of russia part of moldova is actually belongs to russia and uh, i went to meet uh, to see a work going on there which is a lovely work meeting the needs of people who are really rejects people have been put into closed institutions 
outside the, the main towns and uh, people with terrible, great needs and they're terrible places. Anyway, I met when I was there with a number of Christians and churches. In fact, every night we went to a different church. What I realized was that for Christians in Moldova, every night is a night to meet with your fellow Christians. They, most of them, don't have all the technological gadgets and opportunities that we have. And just meeting every night to sing hymns, to pray, to hear a word from the Bible was their life. That was what they loved to do. It was their greatest joy and pleasure in life to meet with their fellow Christians. And I thought, yes, it was like that some years ago in, in Wales when people met together in that way and, and were so glad just to be with their fellow Christians. Now our life is different. But again, there's that sense of the daily walk, the daily life lived for the Lord and uh, wanting to, to know God. And, and it shows itself in a variety of ways. They, they were hospitable. The breaking bread here, I think, is eating together in their homes. There's something special about eating together uh, with one another. And they ate their food with gladness. And uh, they were sincere, genuinely thanking God for his provision for them. Uh, how often do we eat together with our fellow Christians? Uh, do we invite people to our homes uh, for uh, Sunday lunch, for a, a meet, meal in the week? This week, Mark and I were invited to, uh, to the home of a family in St. Melons, and they asked us to come for tea, and we gladly came. And we realized that somebody else in the church, a man who's just lost his wife, was being invited as well, and we, we shared in a in a meal together. A very lovely thing uh, to give and receive hospitality. And it's often around the meal table that you, you talk and you get to know each other. And the Christians were like that. They had held things in common. They, uh, they shared in what they had and they were glad and they were sincere. And uh, they were full of praise to God. And they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we know that this was the time of persecution. I think what we're being told there is that, that the people could see that these people were real believers. They could see that the lives that they lived were cons consistent with what they professed to believe. And uh, in that sense, their reputation was good. And uh, we longed that the reputation of of Christians, of churches, should be good, should commend the gospel. It's tragic, isn't it, when so many reports come through of bad things that have happened in churches. And it makes it possible to say, well, there we are, you see, they've got nothing to offer to us. But when Christians are living as Christians and living together and worshipping together and sharing together and, and are serious about those things, people can see that it's real. And it's no wonder, therefore, that we read that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's that blessing of God upon his work. It's a blessing we can't bring about. It's a blessing personally which makes us rich and there's no sorrow with it. But it's just that sense that the hand of God is upon us. And uh, so they just saw the Lord adding to the church every day. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had come He'd come to stay. The work was beginning in Jerusalem, but it would spread to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, 
And that's what has happened. And uh, many people have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. About 30 years ago, there were four known believers in outer Mongolia. Just four Christians. Today, there are tens of thousands of believers in Mongolia. It's just one example. It isn't some great evangelistic campaign that's been held. It's not outside people coming in to take the gospel to them. It, it's just God blessing and, and using uh, the relationship just that a handful of people had and bringing the gospel to others and churches being established in what again is a very needy land, a population very similar uh, to the population of Wales. And it's the work of God's spirit. And you could give lots of examples of that where God is at work. Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit has come. And uh, we read at the beginning of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. They were all together in one place. And suddenly, the Spirit came. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the gospel. And people heard. And did you pray, Lord, please send your Spirit into my life Send your spirit amongst us as God's people at Park End and do things that only you can do. Make us more like Jesus. Draw people to him that we too might see people being added to the church. So the day of Pentecost is a really significant day because on that day the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, came and and Jesus said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Because he will glorify me by taking the things that belong to me and revealing them to you. This immense potential in the, the power of the Spirit who comes. Let's pray that we'll know more of his work in our own lives. And uh, as a congregation, we will know more and more of his work among you. Amen.